You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello and welcome back or welcome to the GFR show. I'm Lisa Cherney. I'm your host and I am super excited for you to get to know today's guest better. If you already know her, you were going to learn some fun facts that you did not know about her. And she just did not hold anything back today, including she really enjoyed um, getting to use all of the colorful words that our show is known for. She does a lot of media and she's like, oh my God, this is so fun to be able to say whatever I want. Her name is Deborah Poneman, and she is a delight. She is an absolute delight. She and I have known each other for many years. We've, you know, been in events together. We have mutual friends. And she and I have never had the opportunity to really sit down and get to know each other. I just felt like I was like a kid in a candy store. That is the blessing that is the show. You know, I I sit down, I spend about two hours with each guest. We get to chat before, we get to chat after. You know, we also record the special bonus training for the GFR squad. And it's just so delightful. So I'm going to kick us off with a, actually two questions. They're in the same, they're in the same theme, but they're kind of different ways of looking at. It. So here's the, the two questions. One is, are you a people pleaser or do you avoid conflict? Now I ask these questions because Deborah openly shares that she used to take great pride in identifying herself as a very nice person, a good person. And she realized fairly recently within the last, you know, five to 10 years that that's actually really not true. (laughs) And that it was hiding some huge, I would say character flaws. She doesn't call it that, but I would say character flaws that allowed her to tolerate some significant circumstances in her life that she really wanted to change. One of them has to do with her marriage that took her 15 years to deal with, and another with her business partner, who also happened to be her best friend. And I think you'll get a lot out of these stories, whether you are a people pleaser or not. She just really goes there and you will, I think, enjoy her candor and possibly hearing her will give you permission to say some things that you need to say or make some changes in your life that you haven't 
made. I know it certainly inspired me. Believe it or not, Deborah has been doing her thing for 40 years. <laughs> and you'll hear me in the beginning of the interview, kind of like, even though I read it, she just who she is, her physical look, she does not look her age. And she has just such a delightful energy that I said, oh, you've been at this a decade longer than me. She's like, try two decades. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, it still didn't quite compute. <laughs> So in 1972, she was being trained as a transcendental meditation teacher. And I also am a, a TMer for uh, a couple of decades now, but she was being trained as a transcendental meditation teacher when I was a uh, one years old, <laughs> which is just amazing to think about. And she's helped tens of thousands of people around the world live their dreams by providing a system to create financial abundance what she calls true happiness and deep happiness, true success and deep happiness. And in the 80s, before the internet made, you know, communication, worldwide communication instantaneous, Deborah's seminars were being taught in seven countries and on four continents. And her graduates went on to become mega successful entrepreneurs, New York Times best-selling authors, millionaires, billionaires, and even household names. And she drops a bunch of names of people that attended her very early seminars, people that were like her secretary and her assistant that now are, you know, super successful household names. And she said, I don't usually name drop, but I'm like, drop away, girl. Like it was really fun to hear some of the people that were her students. And let's see what else. She also has done a ton of media appearances, ABC, NBC, Fox, CNN, the morning shows. She, <laughs> she said that when she woke up this morning to do the interview, she like looked at her schedule and she was just so excited that we got a chance to talk. And I felt very honored by that because I know how many interviews she does. And we really did have fun. And she shared a lot of aspects to some very common things that she shares. Like she shares how in 1988, the height of her success with her book, you know, in the hands of top agents and possibly a talk show in the work, she walked away from her career to be a full-time mom. And she shares that often. And there's a, a couple aspects of that story that she does not share that she shared on the, on the show because she just really felt like in the spirit of get fucking real, she wanted to share the parts that she doesn't often share. Like she feels like she's been revered for, you know, her sacrifice. And, and she said, you know, there's some things that people don't know about also why I made that sacrifice. So I just, I think that you will enjoy her candor. I also think that if you identify with being a people pleaser or you avoid conflict, you're going to get a lot out of um, the story she shares about her relationship her with her husband and also with a business partnership and how she realized, you know what, I'm actually really not a nice person. And there's, there's sort of like a dark underbelly to, you know, why I'm nice all the time and I'm just not doing that anymore. So you will get to hear that firsthand. And if you are a GFR squad member, which is our real, you know, easy financial entry membership program, it's only 20 bucks a month. We get together once a month with me live and we have a community call and we focus on one of the GFR commandments and the confession question. And it has become a really powerful 
group and a profound conversation. Well, each one of our guests does a bonus training that only our GFR squad get to hear. And this one, Deborah shares very specifically how she went from being the broke meditation teacher to really getting started with her business. And I just delight in those kinds of details because I hate when people gloss over like, oh, I went from, you know, started the business in my garage to, you know, billion dollars. And I'm like, can you fill in the blanks? So she really does fill in the blanks very specifically, also teaching four of her core principles along the way. I learned a lot from that as well. So if you're not a GFR squad member, click the link in the show notes, join us in the squad. Uh, you can cancel anytime. It's a really great group of people and we will get to hang out more and get to know each other. So now without further ado, please welcome to the show, Deborah Poneman. Deborah Poneman's in the house on the GFR show. <laughs> so excited. She's jumping on, jumping up and down, y'all. Like she's on one of those bouncy balls. Are you on one of those bouncy balls? No, just a pillow. Okay. You look like you're on one of those, you know, I don't know how people sit on those freaking balls at their, on their, at their desk, but that's what you look like you were doing. <laughs> well, I, I simulated it just to show you how excited I am to be with you. You, you did perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> I am. I, I feel so like, like this is going to be so luxurious to just have all this time to, to chat with you. As you heard in the intro, Deborah and I have been around each other for a really long time and at events and all that, but I don't know. We've never really gotten to chat. So I'm super excited about this. I am too. I, when I woke up this morning, cause I do a lot of interviews. It's like, okay, who do I have an entry with? Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you know, we recently saw each other uh, at a conference or something. And I was like, okay, you know, that's it. You need to be on my show. And we just sort of texted and made it, made it happen. And, and there was a few things that I like, was not awareness that I wanted to talk to you about, but I've never asked a guest this before, but it came to me when I was like going pee before we got on the show here was, was what inspired you? Like, why do you want to be here on the get fucking real show? What, what is it about this that you said that had you say yes to it? I feel like there's something there that would be valuable for the audience. Yeah. Two things. One is to be with you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the other is that in so many interviews based on who the audience is, who the interviewer is, who, you know, the genre is, you can't be fucking real. You have to play by rules and rules are not my favorite thing. They have never been my favorite thing. When I saw that the title of this was get fucking real, it was like I could exhale yes. because I could actually be myself. And it's so interesting because that's what I want to talk about today. It's, it's that, you know, when you get to be in your 50s, 60s, 70s, you actually look back on your life and you're like, man, I, and it's, and it's one of your principles. What would you do now? What would you have done then if you know what you know now? And one is to just be fucking real. Yes. Ah, I love it. I love it. And I am just like always so freaking like honored that people are like, I want to like come on your show and tell all the things. I'm like, yay. I'm so glad that I have a place for people to tell all the things. And because in doing the show, I knew this before the show, but it's sort of like, you know, Oprah says that she got like a, you know, multiple masters and, you know, PhDs just from having the guests on her show and what she's learned is I know 
that trauma and struggle is normal. It is normal. And these are the things that we don't talk about for some reason. We think they're not, but they're like, so especially people that are up to doing great things, like the people that we feature on the show and the people that are listening to this show, that, they, that we go through shit in order to, to become the person and be able to be the container for what it is that we're doing in the world. So, all right, let's GFR together. Are you ready? I am so ready. <laughs> okay, so I have been in the you know transformational conscious space since 1999. And for most people, that goes way back. Like that goes back before websites were like, you know, an everyday thing before social media. But with you, Deborah Potterman, <laughs> you got like a decade or more on me. And I would love to hear what it was like. So you were in like a, a corporate type setting in the early 80s, and then you made a transition. I would like to talk about that. That would be like the first chapter of our of our story today. Okay, so the only part of the story that you got wrong is I've actually been in the world for 30 years more than you. 30 years more than my 20? Yes, because I became a teacher of Transcendental Meditation in 1972. Oh, that is amazing. I hopped out of my mom and went right off to teacher training. That is, uh, yeah, right. (laughs) I hopped out of my mom in 1971. (laughs) And I was, yes, and I was already doing my prep to be a TM teacher. That's amazing. So I'm a TM person as well. And I just, and my daughter, I had her trained in TM when she was 10. And I just thought that was like, like you would have thought that I taught my daughter. I don't even know what the analogous experience would be, but I was so damn proud of myself that I gave my daughter that experience because I just can't imagine what it would have been like to be a young person and freaking have some kind of tool to help me with my crazy mind. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's I I say if I hadn't learned TM, I probably wouldn't be alive right now. Yeah. But that but I'll tell you another little bit you of start wherever you want, girl. Yeah, you just go I'll for it. So I, I actually entered the world of transformation in 1972 when I wow teacher training and I started teaching TM full time and then was an administrator at Maharishi International University in Fairfield, Iowa. But then at the end of the decade of the 80s, no, I'm sorry, the end of the decade of the 70s, I realized that woman does not live by mantra alone. And (laughs) I I had to make some money. So I left my community in Fairfield, Iowa to go make some money. So I was never in the corporate world. But I think you got the thought that I was in the corporate world. Because in 1980, I went to uh, an event at the uh, Learning Annex because I was living in L.A. I left Fairfield, went to L.A. I thought I was going to make a lot of money. I started selling investments and and I was a dismal failure. I won't go into that, but I never sold one investment except to my dad who felt sorry for me. <laughs> but I went to the Learning Annex and there was a guy, this is 1980, talking about the law of attraction and about how the power of our mind can create a reality. And my mind was so blown by everything he was saying that I thought, 
that's why I came here. That's what I want to teach for the rest of my life. And um, so I started studying all the great masters of success and prosperity, like Napoleon Hill and Wallace Waddles and Florence Goldwell Shin. And I put together a seminar. And in 1991, I launched Yes to Success. And I think the confusion about me being in the corporate world is because during the 80, early 80s, when it was almost unheard of for women to be teaching in-house in corporations, I taught for Mattel Toys. I taught for McDonnell Douglas. I taught. In- yes, that's what I was. That's what I read. But it and was you taught law of attraction at Mattel Toys and McDonnell Douglas. Well, it was kind of disguised because I taught goal setting and time management uh. but, and also how to create a successful image. But in that, I I did sneak in the power of that we have to create with our thoughts. And you know what? That's what they like the most. So. Yeah, that's where you got the corporate thing. Well, I'm just impressed that you never felt like you had to, you know, check the box of like, get a job. You know, I I think that that's fucking amazing. Yeah. But wait, you have to remember, I'm a child of the 60s, 60s, early 70s. You know, that was we were too busy protesting the war in Vietnam and um, living in communes to think about getting a job. That's fair. I lived in (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's amazing that you I mean, first of all, from Fairfield, Iowa, which is like the city is TM city to L.A. Wow. That must have been like such a culture shock. And then to to get inspired around the law of attraction and what that means and be able to disguise it and get into corporate America is so groundbreaking. I mean, you're just right there at the forefront. You know that, but I'm just, I, I just uh, affirming you even more. Well, thank you so much. And, and I'll give you a little trivia fact that many people don't know. When I was teaching Yes to Success in the 80s, Many of our mutual friends, I don't usually broadcast this, but I don't know if you know this, but, you know, Marcy Shymoff was a student of mine and Janet Atwood and Deepak Chopra and uh, Deepak actually took, took my seminar three or four times in the 80s. And then Marcy became my personal assistant and Janet was one of my secretaries. So it was very fun. But you know what happened in 1988? I gave it all up. You gave it all up. Before we get to the gave it all up. So, I yes. I'm so glad that you illuminated the where where you were and who you were around, you know, who you were with. I love Janet. I interviewed her for years ago for my Meditate Your Way to Million series, and she was so beautiful in her vulnerability. I mean, yeah, she blows me away. I don't know Marcy that well. I look forward to getting to know her through you. And it's it's so cool to to I always like say like who we grew up with in the, in, like in the business, who I, you know, so I grew up with, you know, a whole sort of different generation and you know, all, all of those folks too. So that's just, that's beautiful. I love it. And you should talk about that way more often. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of, when I hear other people name dropping, I always cringe and I think, you, you know, like am I name dropping, but all of those names, they're actually germane to the rest of my story. Yes. And you should drop all the names you fucking want. Okay. This is, this is the GFR show and Hey, you know, people are going to really get the idea by the end of this, that you are more fully embracing the GFR in your life. And so, Hey, I think that should be a part of the new chapter is that you name drop the hell out of all the ones that you, everyone just go for it. <laughs> Why not? You've earned it. 
All right, I'll name drop a few more now. <laughs> yes, yes. You had Deepak Chopra in your seminar three times. Yes, yes. You know what? This you'll find very funny because you know a mutual friend, Steve Farber. Yes. Farber friend. Yes. And Steve Farber actually took my seminar in the in the um, 19. Uh, he wrote he wrote the book Love is Just Damn Good Business and a bunch of other. And when he was just a little taught um, and he was working for a financial company, actually, which my then husband owned. And I was teaching Yes to Success and he stood up and he shared something. And I stopped the midway and I said, you should be a professional speaker. You are funny. You have the presence. You have the timing. Oh, no, not me. And he was just voted by the, I think it was the Huff Post, or maybe it was in Forbes, as one of the 10 top motivational speakers in the country. Oh, my gosh. I got chills on that one. I really did. I, I just really hold space for you. To, like you said, and you said end story or end of story. And so rare do we get to share the end, right? Like we, we make all these impressions on people and they're in our orbit and they take our classes and, you know, for you to be able to claim that end, like I just got the chills thinking of just of you really claiming the whole timeline, like claiming the end feels like you're claiming the whole damn thing. So beautiful. So awesome. Okay. So Yes. Then take us to the point where you gave it all up. Like what was going on before you gave it up? And then, of course, share more why you did that. Yeah. And then I get to tell one of my favorite get fucking real stories. (laughs) So what happened was that my seminars were being taught. I taught them in, I think, 12 major cities in the U.S. And I had reps teaching in seven countries on four continents decades before the internet made international communication instantaneous. So this was snail and phones that were attached to the wall with curly cords. Many of your listeners (laughs) have never those, but we did. There weren't even fax machines, but so I had people all over the world representing Yes to Success. I was about to have my own daytime TV talk show. Actually, Janet was my secretary at the time. So you can verify the truth of this because she came with some meetings with the producers and she (laughs) and um, I can't even picture her secretary. That's so funny. (laughs) No, because she's so amazing and so dynamic. But yeah, she wasn't a great secretary, but she was fun. And also my book, my Yes to Success book was in the hands of a a couple uh, publishers in New York. And I was at the top of my game. And one of the things that I always taught was that you have to, if you want true success in life, you have to follow your heart. And what happened was in 1988, I gave birth to my daughter and I took one look at that little scrunched up face and I thought, oh, new passion. And I gave up my entire career, like almost literally on the spot. And because I thought, how could I get up at five o'clock in the morning to tape a TV show? How could I continue? Because by then I was traveling around the world myself. I was supposed to do a set of presentations in Southeast Asia. I'm not going to Southeast Asia. I didn't want to leave her to go to the bathroom, let alone leave her to go to Southeast Asia. So True to my own teaching, I said to my promoter in Southeast Asia, when he called, he said, oh, I heard you had the baby. I said, Xiong, I love you. And you're going to have to call me back in 18 years. Wow. And because I decided I wanted to be a full-time mom at home. So you want my fucking real story? 
Yes, I do. Okay. So that is the truth. And people have put me on the pedestal like, oh, she gave up this incredible career to be a mom at home. Wow. Deborah's so cool. Let's give her a hand. Well, the truth is, I also had a husband who was a multimillionaire. And the truth is that I didn't have to pound the payment pavement anymore. The truth is, I didn't have to go back to work. So I was really no kind of hero. I know that we are each put on earth for a purpose. And I know that my purpose is to speak. I was given this gift. I love to speak. I love to organize knowledge. I love to share it with people. And I knew that it was my dharma and that it would be waiting for me on the other side after the kids grew up. But the real truth is that I tell the story. I look like a hero. But if I want to get fucking real, I also had a very wealthy husband. So I maybe I deserve some modicum of admiration, but it was very easy for me to give it up because I still knew how I was going to put food on the table. Yes. And I really appreciate you filling in any of the gaps that you perceive there to be in the telling of the story so that there's like the complete picture. I feel like sharing slivers of things is the norm. And why I do the show in the format that I do is because we have way more time for the slivers and it really does often create opportunity to tell more of the things we don't get to share. So, so I really appreciate you owning that part of it. And I still am in awe and have a lot of respect for just the desire to be home. I did not want to be home. So here's my GFR. I do not like kids. That is my GFR. (laughs) Wait, I love kids as long as I had a full-time nanny. (laughs) Okay, great. You're GFR too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, they kind of scared me like being alone with my kid for like my little kid for like long periods of time. I'd like, I'd like get nervous about it. So I, I, I love my kid, but I'm just not necessarily a kid person. So I still have a lot of respect that you even desire to be home. Yes. And I did. And I loved being with my kids. I had a son three years later and I loved being with them when I wanted to be with them. It wasn't like I was a full-time mom. I still did nonprofit work for the TM organization. I still did a lot of other stuff outside the home. I even started a business where I helped people get toxic products out of their home because I was so freaked out when I learned about what, you know, Tide and Bold and Bleach and Bounce and Downy were doing to our kids' brain development. So I did a lot of other things. So that's why I really want to get clear that it wasn't like I stayed home and churned my own butter and, you know, sewed my kids' clothes. I can't even sew on a butter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. I That's so me too. I have like not a domestic bone in my body. Oh my God. My daughter's like, if she wants dinner cooked, like a nice cooked dinner, she knows she needs to do it herself. So yeah, I just love your honesty, you know, and in this day of social justice and, you know, racial equality, which I, you know, in the, even in the last couple of years have really dug deeper on, you know, I'm committed to more than 50% of my guests being, you know, people of color. I also feel like it's cool to own our privilege. Like you had the privilege to have 
that financial security to be able to say, you know, I want to stay home and to be able to say, I want to stay home, but I know that I'm not going to need to give up all my whole life because I'll be able to have a nanny. And I think just the, the realness of all that just, I think, creates more connection with who we're speaking to, right? Just being that true voice. I think what happens when people hear that I gave up my career to, to be a mom at home, they start beating themselves up for having had a career and not staying home. And that isn't at all my intention. Number one, not everybody is meant to, to be at home with their kids. Number two, I would have torn my hair out if I didn't have a full-time nanny. And number three, my kids loved when I would go out and accomplish something. And, and I would, when I started doing speeches again, when they were in their teens and they were like, that's my mom. Yeah. They love when we're doing something great in the world. It makes yes. them proud. Yeah. And I also appreciate, and I want to like underscore again, that you had the faith that your purpose would be there, you know? And I, I think, that in this culture of like the pushing and the accomplishing and the to-do list of being productive and, and all of that, that, and I remember, I, I like have distinct memories of in 2006, when my daughter was born, I took a, a couple of years off. And I remember thinking, I'm going to be behind, like I'm losing time. I'm going to be behind. And then I'll never, you know, and then, you know, 2008, 2009 is when I started my, you know, on the journey to seven figures, which happened, you know, just a few years later and my exponential growth. And I realized I didn't lose nothing. Like I did not lose any time. It's all in the, the right time, but it does, it's scary to leave a career, you know, feel like you're going to like lose momentum. So I love that. Okay. Here's another fucking real moment. All right. Give it to me. You don't think that when I would turn on the TV and see my students smiling across the airwaves, including some on Oprah, that I just think that I had made the biggest mistake of my life. Mm. You don't think that I stood, there's this one time when I turned on the TV and, and one of my students was on Oprah showing Oprah a demonstration of the power of the mind that he had learned in my seminar. And I don't fault him because when I left, I said, hey, take my stuff, teach it. You don't even have to give me credit. The world needs this. I'm going to be gone for about 20 years. So take it and run with it. But here I am knee deep in dirty diapers. Here he is with Oprah going, oh, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I'm going to show it to my staff. And and you don't think I didn't burst into tears (laughs) and think he gets Oprah. I get these two whiny kids on the couch. Okay, that's real. I got you. Right. And, you know, people think you're going to like, you know, it's going to be sunshine and lollipops being home with the kids and you're never going to have any doubts. I doubted. I constantly doubted. I doubted when my kids were teenagers because I thought that I had ruined their lives, that I was such a horrible mom. You know, when my when my daughter's ringtone, when her dad would call her was I just called to say I loved you. And when I called her, her ringtone was ding dong, the witch is dead. Oh, <laughs> right. So there were times, I mean, people say, oh, and then Deborah, she went off and she was with her kids and she tiptoed through the tulips. No, it was, you know, I, I think that being a mom 
is probably the hard and the dad is the hardest job there is. I once saw this greeting card that says she laughed when I said I was a mom and I laughed because I knew she wasn't qualified. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's the G that's the GFR moment for now. Yes. I love it. Okay. So Let's fast forward a little bit. Something that we were talking about in the green room before the show, and I had to like cut us off and say, let's let's start the recording here, was you shared with me that for a long time, you had an identity of being a nice person, a good person. And that recently, and you could share with us exactly when, you know, really the illumination became real for you you realize that that really actually wasn't true. So share with us about that. I mean, I feel like this is, and you're going to share some of your GFR moments along the way that had you really had that be real for you. Yeah. Well, my identity, as you say, was always, oh, nice Deborah Poneman. Well, it was nice Deborah Helper, and then it was nice Deborah Olson, and then it was nice Deborah Poneman. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had a couple of things along the way. But you know, that was my identity. And actually, I have to, you know, give myself a little bit of credit. And that is, I do love people. I, I do love to connect. I do tend to see the good in people. I do tend to be kind because I like to be kind. It's not difficult to be kind because it's just my natural tendency. But I remember after I'd been uh, married for maybe about 12 years, I realized that I had, this is my second husband. I was married to probably the nicest guy in the world. There was nothing wrong with this man. There was everything right. He was handsome. He was smart. He was a Harvard MBA. He was wealthy. He was generous. He was kind. He was an incredible dad. And I didn't want to be married anymore. Wow. Was that like an overnight, like you got struck with that notion or was it like a slow burn? No, it was a slow burn. I realized that I actually like my own company a lot and I like being alone and I don't like to have to be responsible for And I guess it's not responsible, but I just tend to be happy. It's actually in my astrological chart, like a million houses in the house of the hermit. I know people go, what? But it really is true. I'm just happier by myself. And I'm not like a great wife. And this this is a wonderful man and who deserved somebody who was a great wife. So I wanted to ask for a divorce. And every time I would go to do it, I would tell myself, how can I hurt this incredible man? How can and I and I actually did once about, you know, after we'd been married about 12 years and the hurt and the pain and the kids hurt and pain. I thought, okay you know, I'm just going to. So we went to marriage counseling and we did, you know, couples therapy and this and that. But I still really did not want to stay. But every time I would think to go to tell him, I thought, how could I hurt him? And I stayed for another 15 years. Wow. And then I realized I couldn't do it anymore because not only was I ripping myself off, but I was ripping him off because he deserves somebody to love and adore him. And finally, I asked him for a divorce. And literally within like a year, year and a half, he found the most wonderful woman who loves him, who adores him, who loves to cook for him, who loves to go to movies with a real wife kind of a person. (laughs) 
I I totally relate to that that my husband really could use a wife. I, I, it's not me. <laughs> she's darling and she's sweet. And I just actually got back from staying with them for a few days because what we I, I call we call each other our wives-in-law. <laughs> I love it. And I just adore them and I adore them together. It just makes my heart happy. But what I came to the my get fucking real moment was that. It wasn't that I waited 15 years because I didn't want to hurt him. I waited 15 years because I didn't want to feel the pain that I would feel by causing him pain. It's just protecting myself that entire time. I'm conflict averse and I'm pain averse. And I knew that if I told him he would hurt so badly and it would go into my physiology. And every time I thought about it, I would think I, I can't bear it. Not that I can't. He's a big boy. He could take care of himself. But my realization was 15 years because I didn't want to feel pain. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like you weren't just tolerating being in a marriage that you weren't happy in. You were tolerating denying you were. Yes. Okay. I get it. I get it. And then could I go to the next part of my story when I did it again? Yes. Okay, because then what happened several, a few years later, really not that many years later, I'm in this business with the most wonderful business partner. Again, you know, the, well, you, you know, her, maybe not as a BFF, but Marcy Shymoff, one of the most glorious people on the planet, an amazing teacher, an amazing businesswoman, an amazing generous person. And she had this idea to teach this course, Your Year of Miracles. And she asked me to be her partner in it. And we put together this kick-ass program. We were like, I, I, I love that I get to swear. We were like pigs and shit. We were so <laughs> excited when we were program together we just we were we would jump up and down like two little school school girls every time we would think of a new aspect of the program you know miracle messages and miracle this and this. it was so much fun and you know the first year was great and the second year we added on even more gloriousness and the third year it was it was one of the most fun things that I've ever done and really, really a fabulous program. And financially successful. Oh, and financially successful. Yes, absolutely. Round about maybe a third of the way into the fifth year, I realized that I wanted to move on. I realized that I wanted to go back to teaching Yes to Success, which was my original program that I started in 1980 and I realized that, I mean, how much I love teaching with Marcy again, I'm a loner. I like to do things by myself. Now, can I, I ask a clarifying, clarifying question? So when you fin- like completed your um, a full-time mom phase and started back really working again, was it into the partnership with Marcy? I taught yes to success. Again, you did go back to speak to teaching yes to success again for a bit. And then you, okay, I was curious about that. Mars called me and said, I have this great idea. And I flew out to Marin. And that was when we went, oh my God, this is the best idea ever. And we started our glorious years together. So thank you for clarifying that. 
so after this, like, you know, four and a half years, I realized that I wanted to go back to teaching yes to success, that that was, you know, my original cognition. And I also realized, yes, your year of miracles was so good that it was like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So it was like, I'm, I'm also a creative. I, I like to, you know, bring out new knowledge and this yes, and this. Me too. It was like, why would we change it when it was transforming so many people's lives? But I love to, you know, develop new things. And we did develop some new things also. But it was more like, I want to go back to doing my own thing. It's just who I am. Okay, I won't blame it on my astrological chart, but it's right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we go again. I have to tell Marcy. And every time I would try I think, okay, I'm going to tell her that this is going to be my last year. And I'd go over to her house for dinner and there she'd be, you know, ebullient about, you know, some new idea. And I'm like, oh God, I can't do this. And it was, you know, like, and I, when I was with her, I felt like such, such an imposter. I felt like I was deceiving my best friend because I wasn't telling her what was on my mind, but so conflict averse. And I thought that I was, I didn't want to hurt her. I thought I didn't want to disappoint our community. I thought I didn't want to disappoint our staff. No, I just didn't want to feel the pain of her reaction or the pain of disappointing the community or the pain of disappointing the staff. This, they're big boys and girls on the staff. The community <laughs> will live without me. But I realized. And I I had this recognition that it's pretty much always just about ourselves. We think that, right? We think that we're like Mother Teresa. We're so fucking not Mother Teresa. (laughs) I I always think, I feel like it's egotistical in a way for us to feel like, oh, like my decision is like going to ruin this person's life and they'll just be lost with, you know, it's like, who do you like? No, you're not that important. Like, like they will be okay. (laughs) Right. And she was so adorable. When I told her, I said, Mars, you know, this is what's going on with me. And she says, you can't leave. And I said, Mars, remember what we teach people when you do what's (laughs) best for yourself, it will always be what's best for everybody else. And she said, I know, except not now, not this. (laughs) And what was so amazing about it is that it was when we talked, I said, okay, you're right. I'll stay. So then a few more weeks passed. I realized I have to do it again because I knew I should move on, but it was like, okay. And and it wasn't like, okay, I'll stay. Cause I know it will make me happy. It's like, okay, I'll stay because how could I hurt Mars? But now it was okay. I'll stay because how could I, you know, again, feel the pain. It was all about me. <laughs> right. And That's a great um, awareness. Yes, it was such a great awareness. And and now when I have to do something like that, I have the realization now that when you do what's best for you, it will be what's best for everybody else. And your year of miracles is even more successful. Sue Mortar took my place. Lisa Gard took my place. One aspect of what I did is Sue Mortar. One aspect of what I do is did was Lisa Gard. It's growing by leaps and bounds, you know. Yes, some people were disappointed that I left. They're surviving, right? But the truth is, is that now I know the truth. And I know the truth. And that is that I got to put on my big girl panties and feel the pain. 
so helpful. <laughs> so helpful. So helpful. Because I do think that there's so many of us, male and female, that do that people pleasing thing. And we're afraid to let people down. And basically, we're, we put ourselves last because, you know, we're afraid to, you know, speak our truth. So I really applaud you, whatever divinely guided age, you know, that awareness, you know, came into you with the perfect timing. Uh, no, no, to be able to, first of all, you know, transition out of your marriage and transition out of the partnerships, but to also share that message with the world, even bigger. Yes. And you know, my, what do you call it? My number four GFR, GFR commandment, number four. Yes. Number four is what did I learn that can serve my community? And this is really it. It's like, first of all, don't fool yourself that you're Mother Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing is don't wait too much longer to stop people pleasing. Don't wait too much longer to stop being conflict averse, even if it's your big, there's this thing that I teach in my teaching, which is, which is a concept from Kabbalah called a tacoon. A tacoon is, a tacoon actually means repair. What did you come into this lifetime to repair? And what is your biggie? And the one that I came in this lifetime to repair is this thing of being nice and people pleasing and being conflict averse. And I don't want to go to my grave without having faced it. And I don't want some tragedy to make me have to face it. And actually, speaking of tragedy, you know that story I was telling you about my friend, Laura? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and tell that. Yeah. Yeah. So probably some of your listeners know who Dr. Laura Berman is. She's considered the number one expert in the U.S. on love and sex and relationships. She has New York Times bestselling books, and she's a frequent guest on Good Morning America and whatever Today Show. But she's been on Oprah a million times. She had her own show on the own network called In the Bedroom with Dr. Laura. So you get the picture. She's absolutely brilliant. And she gives advice on having a loving primary relationship. And she's just brilliant. And she's very beloved. So Almost exactly a year ago, she was just going about her life with her fabulous husband and her three fabulous teenage sons when the unthinkable happened. And that was that her youngest son, Sammy, was up in his room studying. He was, I think, a sophomore in high school. And his dad brought him a hamburger for lunch. And then he went out to get some fresh air because that's when people were learning online, sheltering at home. The high schools weren't open. And then a few hours later, Laura went up to see um, if there's anything that he needed. And he was lying on the floor dead. Oh, my God. And he was a really good kid, beautiful kid, kind of an innocent kid who never did drugs, except for, you know, a tiny bit of experimentation with marijuana, but some pusher on Snapchat who preys on these kids sold Sammy. They, they find him on Snapchat and then they meet up with them when he takes his walk around the block and he bought what he thought was Percocet. And he was going to take it, you know, to impress some girl, but it was laced with fentanyl. Oh, my God. And, you know, fentanyl, you know, a grain of sand amount of fentanyl can kill you. And he took it and he died instantly. And anyway, so the other day I actually interviewed her on something I was doing. And it was so interesting to hear her talk on exactly what we're talking about now. 
her thoughts one year later after Sammy's death. And you know how we say eventually we'll see the gift in everything, but then our next thought is, yeah, Dr. Laura, but really is there a gift in losing your child? And she shared that she actually sees innumerable gifts, even after an unimaginable tragedy, even though, of course, she'd rather have Sammy than the gift. And she wished that she didn't get the gift this way. But what she said is that she's not only surviving after a year, but she's thriving in many ways that she didn't thrive before. And this is what she said. She said that she feels that she's a new person because the worst possible thing happened to her. And now there is nothing else to be afraid of. Wow. And she said, I'm truly not afraid of anything. She, she said, it makes me a little harshly honest at times because, quote, I don't give a shit what other people think of me anymore. She says she's no longer a people pleaser, that she can't do anything more, anything that isn't a full body yes anymore. And it's a new freedom in her life. And one of the things she said, she said that when someone is struggling to make a leap that would feed their soul and they have no idea what's going to happen. They could soar or they can crash and burn. She said before, because of the possibility of crashing and burning, she wouldn't take leaps. But now she leaps because she sees how insignificant most crashes and burns are. Right. To losing her child. And she says, you know, now I think, so what if the outcome isn't what I intended? So and she's unapologetic about saying no to things she doesn't want to do. She used to think that if she would say no to her friends, that she, that all hell would break loose, but, and they wouldn't want to be friends with her anymore. And she said, now, not only did she realize that all hell didn't break loose, but they respected her more. They respect yes. her when she says no. Yes. And her bottom line is how can you not thrive when you're not doing anything that you really don't want to do? And I say, after I listened to her, I said, okay, let's not wait until the unimaginable happens to us. Let's take her example and let's, you know, be unapologetic about saying no. Let's take those leaps, even if we can crash and burn. And, uh, and she says, you know, so what? So what if the book doesn't become a bestseller? So what? I mean, after the loss of a child, there's a lot of so what's. And so I think that's just another way we can work on this thing of being brave enough to tell the truth to our spouse, if we were our partner, if we want to leave a relationship or our business partner, whatever we're doing, you know, it's time because we don't know how much more time we're going to have on this earth. And we don't want to go to our graves not having leapt because we're afraid what other people are going to think of us. And the truth is you're not that important to anybody. They're not even thinking about you. I know. It's so true. It's so true. I feel like um, in my work with my unmentor clients that are in like later stages in their business journey, you know, so many of them are still holding back a little bit, you know, some a lot and some a little bit of, of really from really saying what they want to say about their soapbox, about the thing that they're taking a stand for still like, Oh, my mother-in-law might see this or doctors, you know, they're going to judge me or what, you know, there's all these, it's amazing 
how these, like we create an iconic sort of like person or persona or group or community that is going to have a negative reaction. And it becomes so big and so real, you know, in our minds. And I feel like at least a couple of times a week, I'm saying like, well, what if it's not, what if they don't? And it, you know, like, what about that possibility? So I just, I love what you're sharing. And thank you for sharing Laura's story. And, and interestingly enough, there is no coincidences, but I'll say coincidentally, you know, the episode before yours was Jenny Kovacs and she talks about losing twins and miscarrying and losing twins. And before that, Phil Cohen talks about losing his 14 year old son who lost at sea. He like got lost at sea and they never found him. So, you know, not to pile on sort of the, the tragedy here, but to really pile on the possibility that comes from tragedy. And that is what this show is about in so many ways, whether it's tragedy or trauma or, you know, however else we are, quote unquote, tested from the universe, like to, to be trusting, you know, even in that moment. And Jenny says, like, within minutes of it happening, she said, there's got to be some good that comes from this. Like, that's like baller to me. Right. And to to be able to do that as quickly as we can. I think that's why I have this show, because it helps me. I have all these after stories. Right. Like I I see before shit happening to people, you know, and then I also see the after stories of what they did with it and the blessing of it. So and you are for sure one of those people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. And it really is interesting at this time when there are so many, I think that the amount of the number of tragedies that are coming to our attention for some reason at this time in creation, they are multiplying there a lot. So thank you for giving people the tools to handle this onslaught that just seems to be happening at this time in creation. Yeah. Thank you for, for, for being among my tools. <laughs> thank you for being such a tool, Deborah. Yes, absolutely. So for this like last segment, I want to like, it's phenomenal that you are teaching yes to success, which in a lot of ways is, so this is where I relate to you on multiple levels. And I wish we had like double the time here. First of all, I was in business with my best friend, Lisa Sasevich and had a very similar thing where, you know, we were working together and then I left and then I came back and then I was like, I'm going to leave again. And, you know, and I just honestly love where that we're not working together anymore and that we just get to just be girlfriends. I don't know if you experienced that too, but there's something quite nice about the purity of the relationship. So I just, I love that we share that experience. And then the other aspect that I wanted to share was that, you know, I launched consciousmarketing.com in 1999, this consciousness-based business related thing that really wasn't, you know, being talked about very much flash forward to today. And that work, that marketing messaging inside out marketing messaging work has not changed at all. It is, you know, like that core is still true. And then of course there's all this beautiful other things that have, you know, burst up around it because uh, of just my own evolution. So I would just love to hear a little bit about how your own evolution is informing this work that you know, probably in a lot of ways isn't changed because they're timeless principles and, you know, you're speaking your truth, but obviously you have now 40 more years of experience. So how is that informing, you know, your work now in Yes to Success? Well, I'm glad you asked because that is one of the reasons why I wanted to go back to doing my own thing is because Yes to Success, I, I although I created it, it was actually 
I don't want to get cosmic on you, but it was downloaded. We know it was downloaded. It's okay. (laughs) You can say that here. That's why when I just moved from Chicago to Ojai, I found my box of original typewritten notes wow. from 1980. And I have not changed much of what I teach in Yes to Success. But what I do get to do is I do get to bring in the new downloads that I get. And I feel that the people who are attracted to me are the people who need to hear not only my you know, body of knowledge that I've been offering since 1980, but we're moving together and they need to hear these new downloads. So how my teaching has been informed is as I learn new things, you know, I don't know if you know this, but one of my major courses that I teach right now is a course on anti-aging. Not that there's with aging, I teach a course called Ageless, Anti-Aging for Your Brain, Your Body, and Your Future. And interestingly enough, I teach it with a friend. We went to Washington University in St. Louis together in the early 70s. And she went on to do research on mind-body medicine and anti-aging at Harvard. And I went on to become a meditation teacher. She also became a meditation teacher. And we just met up in India. And we were both at an Ayurvedic clinic there, just getting some cleansing, (laughs) really fun. And we both looked at each other and we realized we were probably the youngest looking 68 year old. Oh my gosh. Like, that's exactly what I'm thinking in my mind. Like I'm doing this math and it's like, like, I'm like, does not compute, does not compute. Like I can't even like, doesn't like, and then I was going to ask you your age. And then I got these completely irrelevant. Like your age is completely irrelevant. <laughs> it is completely irrelevant. And that's why, I mean, I, I am completely happy to tell people my age. I know this is mostly just audio, but the pictures that I have on my website, that's really me, you know, no facelift, no Botox. I would never put anything with the word tox in it in my face, although I'm not opposed to it. You know, I might do it one day. I don't know. I mean, but. <laughs> I realized that for the last 50 years, I've also done those things that do scientifically proven to slow down the aging process of the brain and of the body. So I thought, well, why am I not teaching this to people? I mean, I just uh, reached the big seven (laughs) out. Amazing. Amazing. If you did not have you're beautiful. I love your gray. I've just just enough to just be like super cute. Uh, yeah. If you were all gray, it'd be super cute. But I love the way yours is coming in naturally. If there was not any of that there, I would just not fucking believe you at all. I would say yeah. you are a liar. <laughs> but in the meantime, so what happens is, is that as I move through my life and I learn these things like don't be a people pleaser, say no when it's a no. You know, when somebody asks you to do something, you can pause and not say yes right away. You know, women have this knee jerk. Yes. Reaction. Oh yes. I'll take care of the book club. Oh yes. I'll do the dinner. I'll do. You deserve to say, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. Can you, can I get back to you in 24 hours? And then if it's no, it's a no, you don't have to have a knee jerk reaction now to say no, but you could also take a breath and say, huh, let me think for a second. Like actually, I would love to support you. I love what you're doing, but right now it doesn't work for me. Instead of, yes, I'll do that. So all of the things that I'm learning as I progress in my life, I share those with people and the people who need to know those things like my anti-aging tips, 
then I trust that the perfect people are going to be drawn to me, my teachings, my community. And that is what's happening. And by the way, I do teach anti-aging for your brain, your body and your future. But I have a question for you. At what age do you think that the brain starts declining? It grows until a certain age and then it starts shrinking. I do not know. 27. Really? 27. So it's you're never too young to start doing the things that we teach in our anti-aging seminar. And then by the age of 40, your brain, the size of your brain and size doesn't matter, actually shrinks (laughs) by 5% a decade. Wow. I love ageless. Just one marketer to another. I love, I really feel yummy about ageless versus anti-aging. Right. You know, you are, it's ageless is so you, and you know, it's sort of like all my unmentor, unlaunch, you know, GFR, it's all, you know, sort of flipping the bird to so much of what is, you know, conformity and the conventional way of thinking. So you are, Deborah Poneman, you are absolutely ageless, absolutely ageless. And I am so honored like, I'm so thrilled and honored that we had this conversation. And well, I'm definitely going to come back to you in a couple of years. I want to see what you're up to, you know, as you begin to walk out this, I think, like this latest and greatest chapter that is yours. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you again. I love you. I love what you do. I love your guests. I look through all the guests and I, I like wrote down all the people I'm going to go back and listen to that you've, and now I'm going to add those last two that you mentioned, the one with the twins and the one with the yeah. that got lost at sea. Can you even imagine? No, no, I cannot. No, not even closure on that one. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Anyway. So thank you for the great work you do. You are very, very welcome. And I can't wait for our listeners to get connected with you in whatever way serves them. And I'm so happy to have this time with you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. That was just so fun. Isn't she just a hoot? Well, you get to download her ebook for free. There's a link in the show notes, the five secrets to a life of true success. And just, oh my gosh, it is jam-packed. She talks about her very first spiritual teacher and how to channel your desire to make a difference, what the Course in Miracles says about taking action before you're ready, all like just all kinds of good stuff. So you can get that for free with the, at the link in the show notes. And I highly recommend you do that and you get connected with her so you can be on the cutting edge of whatever else she is doing. She talks at the end of our interview about her new course, Ageless, which sounds so fascinating. And oh my gosh, if you have not seen a picture of her, you need to click somewhere, go somewhere to see a picture of her because you will not believe that she uh, just turned 70. You will absolutely not believe it. Ah, you heard her talk about her favorite GFR commandment, number four, trust that your struggle serves your mission. And if you do not have your full set of 12, the 12 GFR commandments, please go download those at gfr.life forward slash 12 C. They're an absolute primer for the show, for life. It is not a 12-step program. You go through them and you look to see which one really is the one that is up for you right now. And when you sign up to get them, you get some instructions on how to use them. And everybody in our GFR squad, 
they could print them out. They have them right there, like on their bulletin board within reach and refer to them every day. Uh, so do I. I use them obviously in my coaching with my unmentor clients. They come up all the time because these are the 12 ways that successful soulful entrepreneurs get in their way and things I've been saying over and over for a billion years. And it's but not as long as Deborah, but 20 years, uh, definitely 24 years to be proud of. But Deborah, oh, she is a matriarch in the industry. So make sure you grab those 12 GFR commandments. If you're new to us, subscribe to the show. You will love the episode before Deborah's is about a woman who lost twins in utero and at the time said there's got to be good something good that comes out of it. And she talks about what that is. I mean, there's just amazing story after story of entrepreneurs who have been through a lot of shit, come out the other side and are using it to serve their purpose. And if that keeps you going and inspires you to live your purpose, then I am doing my job. So subscribe so you don't miss any of these stories. And I will see you back here on the GFR show real soon. Over and out.